This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center. Thanks for joining us for the Crucible, the JRTC experience. Today, we're fortunate to be joined uh, by two of our very best, uh, Major uh, Kevin Bernhardt and Major Maria Carver. Would you two introduce yourselves, please? Yes, sir. Uh, Major Kevin Bernhardt. Uh, I come from uh, Gwinnett County, Georgia. I am married, got three children. They're all awesome. Um, coming out of North Georgia, commissioned as an infantry officer. Uh, went to the 82nd Airborne Division where I served as a junior officer. Uh, after that, went to the 1st Striker Brigade out of 4th ID, helped stand that up. Uh, commanded uh, Alpha Company, 4-9 Infantry. From there, went to the uh, 70th Ranger Regiment, 3rd Ranger Battalion, where I served as an AS3 and a company commander of Alpha Company. Then went to the uh, Naval Postgraduate School for my ILE equivalent, and then came out and came here to Fort Johnson to 3rd Brigade 10th Mountain Division, where I was a Battalion XO and a Brigade XO. And then I came over here to Ops Group, and I am currently the Brigade Executive Officer OCT. Awesome. And then you got one rotation left, and where are you off to? Yes, sir. One rotation left. Get to hang out with my, my old team, 3rd Brigade, 10th Mountain, and then I'll be heading over uh, off to the uh, National Capital Region to the Joint Staff in the J3. Awesome. Hi. Carver. Uh, I'm Major Maria Carver. Uh, I grew up in Iowa. Uh, I went to college at the University of Rochester up in Rochester, New York. Uh, poor choices in life. It I love very it. Cold. You're like everywhere. <laughs> Uh, and then immediately after that, I commissioned into the Army. Uh, my first duty assignment was at Fort Liberty. I was with the 20th Engineer Brigade, did my platoon leader time, uh, XO time, and then uh, I served as the Brigade Air for a while. Uh, went to the career course, had the awesome opportunity to go back to Fort Liberty, uh, and served on the 18th Airborne Corps staff, and then on the 82nd uh, Division staff and then got to command in 2nd Brigade 82nd, the 37th Engineer Battalion. Great, and you both were Falcons, do I got this right? Mm -hmm. Both Falcons. Yeah. Uh, live in the Falcon world, okay. And then from, from Falcon world? From there, uh, I got accepted to advanced civil schooling, so I went to the University of uh, North Carolina Wilmington and got a master's degree. Uh, and then I did ILE uh, with the Air Force at Maxwell Air Force Base. And then you did my USACE utilization in Korea uh, and once that was over, uh, I got the opportunity to come to Fort Johnson uh, to be the S3 and then the XO for the 46th Engineer Battalion. And then had an opportunity to move over to Operations Group where I served on the Brigade Command and Control Team as the Plans and Protection OCT. Uh, and now I serve as the Chief of Staff for Operations Group. All right, yeah, like juggling the flaming uh, bowling ball, the running chainsaw, and the infant in the diaper as the chief of staff. Uh, awesome. And uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for making time for me today and, and for our audience out there. So um, kind of first question I'd ask is, you know, you both have had very, very different uh, experiences, varied experiences, right? Uh, light infantry, airborne infantry, ranger, striker, and then like 
all over the place for you, um, you know, doing doing all kinds of things. Um, what what have you learned about large scale combat operations in your year here as a field grade officer OCTs? Sir, I, th I think something that I learned, and I, this has been consistent. You know, I get the privilege to, you know, hang out with you know Brigade XOs. You know, we've seen ten rotations, so. You know, generally high performing individuals. Yeah. And, and uh, mostly very happy people. Yeah, mostly very happy people. Like you said, juggling the flaming ball, you know, riding the bike that's on fire. Yeah. Uh, but something that they've all said at some point throughout the rotation, and I know, sir, you talk a lot about game speed. Something that they've all talked about is how fast it is. You know, time is obviously, you know, a resource that we can't get anything back from, but, or we can't get back. But every single one of them talks about, how fast LISCO is and how important it is to structure their time, whether it's you know through battle rhythm, a good timeline, you know, telling people what to do and when to do it. Um, that's something that's been consistent. It's fast. The game speed is just faster than it is at home station. Um, and I, I think that, you know, for me, like learning that, I think that the importance of structuring time, you know, at the brigade level, you know, and I think also at the division level, you know, helping the brigades and then all the way down to the companies. Um, I think that's important because I think people need to understand when they have to accomplish things because you can't hit a target you can't see, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of times a target is a suspense. Um, and so for me, I think that's incredibly important. It sounds kind of like mundane and, you know, like not that important, but in terms of LISCO, establishing a timeline and a, a good battle rhythm and adhering to it and having the discipline to do those things, you know, I think is incredibly important. What, what's your perspective on that? I mean, having worked with the plans folks, I mean, doing planning uh, at home station, right? We're planning the brigade ball, uh, being facetious, or at LTP versus doing it here where it's like three, you know, we're executing one operation, we're preparing for a next operation, and we're planning a third operation. What's, what's your perspective? Yeah, so just like he said, setting the timeline is incredibly important, but I think something that we underestimate is the level of control that's required uh, and the level of detail that a brigade has to direct to their subordinates. Uh, and, and so we frequently see uh, very complicated and conceptual plans uh, because we want, to come up, plan. <laughs> we want to come up with a really clever way to defeat the enemy. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, like, it, it just becomes too cumbersome, and so it's very difficult to synchronize. Again, because we are, our time is so limited, and you don't have the time to flush out all the details for a complex operation. What are some examples of how people build complexity into their plans? I mean, you, you all have had a front row seat to this, and, we, and we've all been guilty of it, right? Like... <laughs> So, like, for example, assigning three different units to assault on a, the same objective simultaneously is an incredibly complex operation versus having one main effort with a supporting effort uh, with, with a sustaining effort. Yeah. I mean, to me, again, another mundane thing, you know, I'm talking battle rhythm and timeline, but another mundane thing is task organization changes, right? We take and we'll cobble together uh, a platoon-sized organization. This is something that has actually happened, and we'll we'll pull, you know, a section from one Delta company from one battalion, and another section from another Delta company, and another section. And then we'll pick a platoon leader, and we don't have unity of effort. I mean, it just makes it 
like way more complicated. It doesn't need to be that complicated. Yeah, and, and getting them all to the same place at the same time is its own challenge in, in this kind of environment for sure. Incredibly hard to control. And, and to kind of, you know, just riff a little bit off of what Maria said in terms of control, you know, again, observation over over the last, you know, the 10 rotations that we've had, that had the privilege to observe, um, coach and, and, uh, and train. Uh, I've yet to hear anybody at one of the final AARs, and sir, maybe the same with you, that has said we controlled too much. Or a battalion commander that said I felt like I was too controlled. But yet I would say that almost every single one of them would say I kind of felt like I wanted to give them the opportunity you know, to, to command their organization and give them the freedom to do these things. That's all great. But I've yet to hear a battalion commander say I felt like I was hyper controlled. And I think because we're talking about speed, you know, like you have to control in order to get unity of effort. Yeah, and get and achieve synchronization. Absolutely. Right, and so you know one of the in the the position that y'all are or have been now now I got you now I got you doing uh, hard things for operations group, but making a difference. Um, you know, is this um, this idea of you know what do we do at Echelon and where do we have the horsepower, right? And so we've gone to a division as a principal tactical formation. Uh, although never written in doctrine, for a long time we talked about a brigade's like deep fight, uh, not not non-doctrinal, um, but we've clearly gone away from that, and we've said that that's the that's the division's responsibility, and, and brigades synchronize in the close fight. And part of that was the capability and capacity we have at the division level to be able to do that really really well and take that burden off brigades and let brigades narrowly focus on winning in the close fight. Um, you know, brigades do things that battalions can't do and battalions do things that companies can't do. And you know, the overmatch of the brigade staff to the battalion staff is about five to one uh, based on the number of field grade officers, warrant officers, very unique capabilities at the brigade level. Battalion staff um, is significantly more robust than the company staff, which the company staff is zero. Right, and so this idea that that battalions have to figure out and solve these problems for companies, it's not it's not really um, being micromanaging. It's actually the opposite. It's providing service and capability down to a company because a company doesn't have those capabilities or capacity to do those things. And I think that that's just a, a bit of a mindset shift. Um, and you're right. I've never heard a battalion commander here say, "Well, you know, I really feel like I." <laughs> I really feel like I was controlled too much by the brigade, or I really feel like I, I had too much control over the companies. Um, and I think maybe at times like companies do, but it's not from a perspective of understanding maybe w what things weren't being done that needed to be done on their behalf, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. What do you guys think of that? We talk a lot about nothing at rest, right? Yeah. Um, and so from like an engineer perspective, we frequently see blade use at 25% or lower. And when the unit looks back and they say, why, why, why was that so low? We had plans for all of these blades to be utilized. When you look, when you walk it back and you ask them in the AR, well, did you direct them? Did you give them specific task and purpose? Did you assign them missions? Did you specify the link up? Did you tell the unit that they were supposed to be supporting that they're gonna be receiving uh, an engineer asset, and, and the answer is always, well, 
no, we, we just expected the battalion to figure that out, right? Yeah. And the battalion doesn't have the, the time or the horsepower or even right. the tasking authority. Right. right. I mean, e even if they wanted to, they, that's exactly it. Like, they, you know, it's battalions at best are two ball jugglers, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not because they're dumb. It's not because they got bad people. It's, it's, it's this, the scope and, and scale at the battalion level uh, just doesn't allow them to do that. No, I think that's, um, yeah, we leave money on the table. Right. Um, so, you know, we started this and Kevin was talking about time. What, what, what kind of big observations, you know, time, you talked a little about control. Maria, what, what else kind of have you seen uh, that you've learned about LISCO here that maybe surprised you from your time as a battalion field grade or as a company commander? The level of training of a staff as a group. So it takes a lot of training to be able to efficiently and effectively conduct planning and MDMP as a, as a group. Uh, and if you haven't done the reps together, it's just slow going initially yeah. the first few times. And so uh, it, it, it's almost like training a crew. We certify our crews, but we don't take the time at home station necessarily to certify our staffs. And so staffs are frequently all new people to that particular position. First time that they're in that position, executing at full speed really struggle in gaining that momentum and planning uh, because we haven't certified them as a crew. Yeah, and um, I got this like horribly wrong as a battalion commander coming through here, like horribly wrong, like changed out uh, some pretty critical people about 30 days before coming here, namely two battle captains. Um, a little bit better, I think, as a brigade commander. I was certainly more aware of it. Uh, more deliberate about the way manage the manning. What what I didn't do, which if I had the time machine I would go back and do, is you know outline really. Hey, what are the individual qualifications, right, that are required? I, I look at an infantry squad and it's pretty easy, right? I can make sure I got my M4 riflemen have have qualified on their weapons, the saw gunners, the 320 gunners, right? Um, you know, there's some leader certification that has to be done with the team leaders, the squad leader, um, and then and then we do, you know, buddy team, fire team, live fires, and then we aggregate that together to uh, squad live fire. We don't frame it out that way for our staffs particularly well, where we say, okay, I need I need these people to be qualified on how to use a JBCP. I need these people to be qualified on how to draw a Maku, right? The E4 and the two shop can draw the Maku at the battalion level or even the brigade level, right? I need these people to be trained and qualified to, to build an event then. Not just the two, not just the assistant S2, but non-commissioned officers, right? Um, and then, you know, we look at all those individual qualifications by word fighting function, and then to your point, now, now then we have to, to tie it all together in, in a series of collective training events. And where's the line where we say, if we've changed out too many people, or key leaders, we got to recertify. Um, and uh, you know, part of that is also how we're building kind of depth. I think. I think. I think that's that's really true. What other observations? Well, sir, just again to dovetail off of something Maria said. Um, large scale combat operations, right? So, our generation experienced something completely different. I think over the last twenty years. Um, I think that's a factual statement. Um, something that I observed coming through as a battalion XO, but then also 
have observed over the last 10 rotations, which is different, is that in large-scale combat operations, the BCT is always in contact. And to your point about, like, yeah, planning's hard, yeah. and BFP's hard. In, right. in all eight forms, in generally in multiple forms of contact. Multiple forms of contact. <laughs> Persistently, right? Yeah. And so when we talk about, like, training, we go to LTP, fantastic. And LTP is a, is a planning event. You know, and we generally, we talk about assigning our crews. We generally, everybody that is there for the show, and what's the show? It's planning. But what are we not doing? We're not Executing, running. preparing. That's right. We're, we're not running a current operation. In LISCO, we're always running a current, op current operation, and we're planning. And we're prepared. I would argue at the brigade level, we're, we're always in plan, we're always in prepare, Absolutely. and we're always in execute There's a simultaneity right. to it. Right. Probably not at the, I mean, shouldn't be at the battalion level. Like, mm -hmm. sustainment battalion is probably in all of that. Plan, prepare, execute. Uh, fires battalion is probably in all three. Um, probably not the maneuver battalions. Mm -hmm. um, solidly one foot in either execution, plan, or prepare, and there's a transition period there. Um, yeah, I think that's hard. And I think that, you know, this, I've heard this from a couple, uh, you know, leaders, is um, the, the degree to which, you know, we do, we train this in our PME and, LT, and, and, and LTP, and those programs are great because they, they teach fundamentals. But it can leave us with a sense that these things are linear in nature versus I'm gonna have feedback loops as I assess the ops process to where my mission analysis changes mm -hmm. based on change with the enemy, change in combat power, sustainment, weather. And we've gotta be mentally agile enough to accept that, that one, it's gonna change, and then two, like we're constantly fighting for this information and, and trying to refresh the information, knowing that it will never be perfect. Right, I think that's a hard uh, leap. Um, you know, you, you know, and I, te I teased up front like brigade exos like being miserable, um, <laughs> but actually I, I haven't seen that. I really haven't. I haven't seen. I would say eighty percent of the brigade exos and brigade threes I've seen. One, they're really high performed people, but two, it's like it's pretty awesome to see people come here and, and be excited to get a B at game speed. Uh, and learn the most from it. I mean, wh what are some of the leadership attributes that you've seen from field grades here um, that really kind of make the difference between you know good teams and great teams? Mm -hmm. I'll start with you, Maria. I I've seen people stand up and just like really take ownership of, of the staff uh, and of the planning process and uh, start driving their, uh, their peers, right? So on, on a brigade staff, you've got a staff of a lot of majors. And there's one or two majors that are typically in charge of all of that. And it's very difficult to lead those peers uh, but yeah, over the every brigade of, staff is a is a CJC small group, <laughs> right? But over the course of that rotation, you can see uh, those leaders grow and like really learn how to lead those peers. Yeah, uh, and, it, and that's pretty incredible to see. Yeah. I, I'd say presence is one. You know, and you, you can argue about where the XO and the S3 kind of you yeah. know belong. You know, 
but I think presence is probably one of them. You know, being there with the team while they're going through planning engagements and being there when the friction factory is at full speed, yeah. right? Like churning out. Yeah, there's, not, there's nothing worse than the staff leader like ah, I'm going to stiff arm this you know next 30 minutes because I know it's going to be really painful. I'm going like, to go to I'm going to go to regiment and help yeah, you stay yeah. here. <laughs> like, I'm going to choose not to go to the maintenance meeting because I know it. You know stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I think that's one. And then I think in probably the most effective teams, something that I've seen field grades do is they trust their peers. Like when that's really empowering, not just their peers, but also subordinates. Yeah. You know, when they give guidance and they're like, hey. It, how awesome is it to watch like a captain play big? It's awesome. Right? We, I mean, pre-command captain. Yeah. Just be like, oh, like I'm in the arena and this is it. And it is, and it, and it is really cool when you see those majors be like, okay, like that guy, you know, or gal's got the thing, and I'm gonna let him do the thing. Absolutely. You, and at times, you've got a captain that is like running the brigade from a current operation cell. Yeah. You know, just d depending on you know context of what's happening. Um, but I mean, you one the brigade XO, brigade S3, the chops, like the the, the main leaders, the chief of plans, they can't do everything because the brigade's so big, just like we were talking about, and it is a big staff. But when we have team members from all across the staff and we have field grades that are, you know, warfighting function leads that step up when, yeah, okay, the Brigade XO, yeah, he's got to sleep. You know, otherwise he just starts to drool, you know, after a few days. You know, yeah, yeah the Brigade S3's got to sleep. You know, but when you have field grades that realize that, okay, I have some, some of the same talents that they might have. And, right. you know, I have a brain and, you know, I can, I can participate in this, in, in this planning engagement or whatever it is. And they step up. I think yeah. that that's when we see, so presence, I think, trusting team members, and then when we see field grades across the staff, like, oh yeah, roger that, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, no, it is cool. I mean, it is cool when you watch a Brigade S1 step in and be like, okay, I can cover current operations for a couple hours. Like, Absolutely. I, I know enough, at least, when I need to go get the Brigade Commander, the Brigade XO and 3, and I, I can be in here and, and, and do that, or a chaplain step up and be like, okay, here's where I can help, uh, you know, not not my job, it, it can't be in the vocabulary, and it's pretty cool to see that. I, I would give you one. I think, I think like there's, at the field grade level, there's just gotta be this infectious positivity, mm -hmm. right? Not that like everything's awesome and there's no problems, because it's a brigade, there's like all kinds of problems all the time. But, you know, this confidence that like, one, we're in this together, two, like, you know, wouldn't want to do it with anybody else, and like, we're gonna figure out how to solve these things. and. And um, you know a lot of great teams come here, but those are the really special ones that you see. I mean, the brigades where it's it's um, you can tell like even though they're like completely smoked, pressurized, problem solving, like folks like really are committed to doing awesome for one another and for the team. And it's a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, sir. I mean, I would say you know just not to pour you know more gas on that fire, but like I think that. Warfighting function leads, you know, S shop leads, they reflect a lot of times the Brigade XO and the Brigade S3's personalities. Yeah. You know, it's pretty consistent, I would say, as an observation over the last year or so. Yeah. It's fun to watch. What what about what have you seen about uh, interaction of uh, brigade level field grades with battalion commanders? Uh, where have you seen that sort of uh, go really well? Where have you seen people maybe have to learn how to grow kind of through that a little bit. I, I would say, you know, I think that, you know, obviously the Brigade XO and the Brigade S3 are in a, a unique position because obviously they're working for the 06. Um, but I've seen it really, really beneficial when, you know, the, when the Brigade S3 speaks 
you just kind of understand that he's he's speaking for the boss because he probably didn't just like wake Dream up, it up. Eat an MRE. <laughs> he's like yeah I kind of think the boss wants me to do these things so I'm just gonna tell yeah. a bunch of dudes to do stuff um, but when you have battalion commanders that come up to the command post you know well, while you're executing parallel planning and they sit down next to the Brigade S3 and because likely they've either been a Brigade S3 or Brigade XO or, or done something similar and they sit down next to the Brigade S3 or the Brigade XO and they're like hey Kevin like I'm just gonna give you some feedback on here <laughs> feedback yeah. is a gift <laughs> here's, here's some feedback yeah you know here's something that just maybe you don't know and you're like oh shoot this is something I don't know. Like I yeah. want to know things. I don't want to. I didn't wake up and want to be wrong. <laughs> right. You know. And I think that's been great. And especially, you know, I would say it's, it's often even less in like the, you know, because often you'll have an infantry, you know, infantryman that's Brigade XO and Brigade S3 for the IPCTs. You know, but when you have a BSB commander or a FA battalion commander, you know, or you know the engineer battalion commander who comes up and just. Speak some knowledge, you know, yeah. it's something I don't, I mean, she knows way more about engineer stuff than I do, you know, I appreciate it when, and I know that the XOs and S3s appreciate it when they come up and they're like, hey, this is something yeah. you probably want to think about, like, for the next 72 hours. And I think, and I think good majors, you know, that doesn't happen at JRTC. That's based on relationships that have been built, I mean, at a minimum through RSOI, right, um, but usually well prior, and you know, it takes, I mean, back to the presence, it takes how I think one carries oneself. Uh, a lot of humility uh, when speaking for the brigade commander. And, you know, one of the things I think is like empathy, mm -hmm. right? Is understanding that like how hard what battalion commanders and command sergeant majors are doing, brigade three and XO mm -hmm. being empathetic, uh, really working hard to help not just the brigade be awesome, but help the battalions be awesome. So if all the battalions are successful, the brigade's probably going to be successful. Uh, what about your perspective? So I think if the relationship is built at home station, it can be super, super productive in that when that battalion commander comes up to the command post, they can integrate with the plans team or integrate with the co-ops team to help them give that bottom-up refinement and help build the plan. Um, However, I've seen it where if, if they're not disciplined with their time, it be, can become a time thief yeah. to the XO or the Nobody S3 likes time or thief. even the planner yeah. to where they're just constantly peppered by battalions that are like either descending or saying, well, I want to do this. Or at some point, you've got to say, no, like, this is the plan and like we're going to execute it. Yeah. And, and just, Violently together. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's just building that relationship early to make sure that you understand how the battalions function and how the, the personalities of those battalion commanders yeah. uh, to make sure that it's productive when they come up to the Brigade Command Post versus uh, creating time problems. Yeah, I'd say the best times, not to go back, you know, I love timelines and, and battle rhythm, but the best times to do that is confirmation brief, back brief. Yeah, right. like very deliberately do the things that we've, you know, we have in our doctrine, confirmation brief and back brief. I completely agree. You know, I think with, let's flip this, like with brigade commanders, I mean, it's sensitive, right? Like generally the brigade commander has selected the um, you know, with the with the approval of the division, the Brigade Three and XO, but that's a pretty close relationship. I mean, what have you seen where uh, Brigade Threes and XOs have, have really kind of done that well? So I think that you know, I I think generally they do a pretty pretty good job, and I think to 
I think it starts before you know the CTC. I think it's obviously having a, a good relationship with the brigade commander and understanding kind of just who he or she is, right? Um, and I think that brigade XOs and S3s that have, whether it's planned engagements with, with the boss or whether it's just kind of like drive-bys, but when, when the commander wakes up in the morning, like give him a little bit of time to drink a little bit of coffee, but then just spend time with them. Like you could plan that out too. You could like program specific time with them just so that you can understand how he's thinking. You can understand what he's anxious about. You can understand like what he's thinking about next. Because whether the commander is writing out written guidance, which is really important, whether the commander is writing out written guidance, the commander's always kind of giving guidance. Because if you can kind of feel him out, you kind of know what his mood is. You kind of know generally what he's thinking. Um, maybe not with specifics, but I think spending time with the commander at every opportunity that you can, I think is incredibly important. And I think that the XOs and S3s that accept that, like, don't try to stiff arm and like go away from the boss. When you see that he needs something, like go spend time with him and build a relationship. And I, I think that I've seen S3s and XOs, and I know that's kind of like a little bit more of like a softy kind of mushy topic, but if you spend time with the brigade commander and you actually understand who he is, you will understand his guidance better. You'll understand, you know, what he wants to do. Yeah, so and, I think that's and it's important. not just brigade threes and XOs, I mean, it's planners. It's, it's planners twos, too, yeah. right? Understanding the commander's information requirements, right? So every commander kind of perceives and learns and sees information in a different way. And so the way that you present that information to the commander has to be tailored to the way the commander is receiving that information or needs to receive that information to be able to make an effective decision. And if, like Kevin said, if you don't spend that time with the commander to really understand how the commander thinks about problems, then, then you're not bringing them information in a way that they can then quickly make a, a, a solid decision based on accurate data. Yeah, I mean, as the person that's commanded a brigade, you know, I think the flip of this is under, is it, I think it's on commanders too to understand their field grades and how they communicate. Um, it would be great if everybody could conform to the way I see the world, but that's not how, that's not reality, that's not how this works, right? And so, um, helping people give you bad news, I think it's like really, really important. It's hard, right? Yeah. It's terrible, it's hard. Um, but I think that that's, you know, that's the inverse of that, um, because ideally, as much as possible, we're standardizing the way that we present that. But I think you gotta know yourself as a commander of like, ah, this is generally how I'm most comfortable receiving it, and that's great, but can I ad adapt to the way the formats and the processes kind of we have as well. Um, but I think, you know, the thing we've all kind of talked is this, di this dialogue, the dialogue about warfighting, right, is so important um, because we all come with different perspectives about things. Um, sometimes it's very, as you pointed out earlier, it's very, you know, warfighter, uh, warfighting function centric. You know, BSP commander is probably going to see some things a little differently. Spo's going to see a little differently. Certainly, a, a, a FSO or FISCOR is going to see a little differently. But that dialogue helps us um, understand how to better communicate with one another um, going forward. Um, you know, I, I give you this one too, and I know you all have seen this before. You know, one of the things I grew to appreciate, you know, first as a brigade field grade, uh, then as a battalion commander and then as a brigade commander, and I've seen it here, is the field grades that can communicate um, the battalion perspective on things. 
in an unemotional, rational way and say, hey, sir, the, the staff sees it like this and we're recommending this. The baton, this baton or that baton or multiple battalions see it like this. This is why they see it like this. This is kind of their recommendation. And, and, and very, without trying to tip the scale, very much just lay those things out uh, for brigade commanders and, and framed to make decisions. Um, I think that's hugely, it takes a lot of maturity to do that, but I think that's hugely important um, because we have different perspectives at the brigade level uh, than at the battalion level, and they're not, not necessarily right or wrong. It, it just it comes down to risk and opportunity ultimately. You know, I think one of the big mistakes that we often make is um, that can be solved through dialogue is this assumption that people know what we want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Very fair. You have to yeah. have seen this as a uh, working with the plans teams. Absolutely. I mean, you give guidance and you make the assumption that everybody understood exactly very clearly what you said in, in your guidance. Uh, but the way that it, that guidance got interpreted by the S1, by the engineer, and by the maneuver guy are, com are, are completely three different things. And so then when they go back and assuming they took notes during that guidance, you look at their notes, they're three different versions of the same truth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's hugely, you talked about confirmation briefs and back briefs. I think you got to do the same thing with the staff. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a difference between the commander's, um, you know, running estimate um, and assessment and then planning guidance. Those are two different things. Um, and we need both. Um, but we probably shouldn't cross the streams with them. Um, how do you think this experience has prepared you, you know, if, if everything works out, how has this prepared you to be a, a battalion commander, do you think? I think by watching the interactions of, of battalion commanders with their brigade commanders and their staffs, I, I better understand the, the level of training that's required for a staff, the level of training that's required for companies, um, and, and the, the level of uh, leadership that you have to set as a commander. Um, and, and so I hope that uh, if I get an opportunity to command a battalion, I can take a lot of the green books of lessons that I wrote yeah. down uh, of, of like, these are the things that you must do, and then also these are the things that you don't want to do. Uh, but really, it, the, the best commanders are the ones that are like good people, right? And so it's about like really caring about your team, caring about building up that team, and, and just being a good human and, and making them want to work for you. Yeah, rule one, right? <laughs> I mean, I, just like Marie said, there's a whole list of tactical things that, I'll, that I know I'll want to do, you know, if given the privilege to command a battalion. Um, but to go off of what Maria said, you know, watching people develop relationships went under extreme stress. You know, we're replicating large-scale combat operations, so it's really, really stressful. So you get an opportunity to watch, I mean, now 10 brigade commanders and a lot of battalion commanders engage with other people while under extreme stress and, stress and pressure. Um, and I think that we, you know, as OCTs, we absorb a whole lot of that. You yeah. know, we see like, oh, that worked really well. Oh, that didn't work really well. They didn't get the response they wanted. They got the response they wanted. Yeah, and it's hugely humbling. I mean, yeah. you sit back and watch it, and you're like, it's hugely humbling to watch because it's these people, you know, they all care. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when it goes bad, you know, the boss used to say, you know, for the grace of God, there go I. 
right? Because it's, you know, the line of success and failure in this can be pretty thin at times. <clears throat> and some really, really good people and really, really smart people, you know, fi find a fair bit of friction down here. Um, but yeah, that, I think that experience of just getting to watch the sets and reps, um, you know, occur. Um, you know, I always think that you don't come out of here with the answers. You just come out here with the questions, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash linktr dot ee forward slash jrtc. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts and be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future the crucible the jrtc experience is a product of the joint readiness training center